Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Glorious Rugby Podcast. I'm your co-host, John Fitzpatrick, and joining me each and every week is Alistair Kirschpool, AKP. We're now in the playoffs. How are you feeling? What's going on? I'm feeling great. I mean, we've been dreaming of playoff rugby since that first 2020 season where we had a, a really good head start on it before the pandemic canceled everything. We're officially in our best season ever as a club. Seven wins. Uh, just just half a win off of a, a break-even season. Hard to complain at this point. AKP, let me ask you. When we first started doing this podcast way back in, I want to say, January or February, right before the beginning of this season, did you think that we would be talking playoffs? Did it legitimately cross your mind that Old Glory had a shot at making the playoffs this year? Yeah, I mean, it did. And part of that's because I've seen, I you know, I crunch numbers. I, I look at the statistics of these things, and the thing was, it didn't wouldn't have taken that much better results to to get us to where we are and the thing you know a few close games going this way or that way if we were just just a bit better than we were last year it always had the chance that we would we would get here because the advantage of playoffs in major league rugby is that you know it's the top half of each conference that goes through and we just so we just had to get in the top half and i don't think i ever felt confident that we would get there but it was in my head as a, a possibility. Yeah, I would agree. <clears throat> I don't think I'm being too crazy of a fan to think that going into it. I remember I was uh, I was I was interviewed by the Jacks Rangers show, and Phil, the host, asked me what I thought Oak Glory's record was going to be going into the season. This was a day or two after Thanksgiving of last year, and I think I had a couple of schlitz in me or something like that, and I was like, Oak Glory's going to go ten and six and make the playoffs. I got half of it right. So, you know, feel good about that. But, of course, we've got a lot to talk about this episode. Very exciting. Final regular home season. Final game of the regular season. Both AKP and I were at the game. I finally was able to get out to a game. And what a beautiful night of rugby it was. You couldn't ask for a better weather. Old Glory DC, they won 36-28. to Big crowd. Over 3,000, I think approaching 3,500. The crowd was loud. It was full. There was running rugby. I got to see AKP in person. I got to meet some of his family members, some friends. Just all around good time. I brought my dad. I brought my son. He got a jersey. We got to run around on the field, throw the ball around, meet some players after the game. You couldn't ask for a better experience. Although, AKP, I don't recall if I heard an Earth, Wind, and Fire song. Did you? I mean, maybe it came on while I wasn't paying attention, but <laughs> you, you raise a good point. So look, last episode we talked about how Old Glory DC had to take care of business and secure a bonus point win, and that's exactly what they did. They went out to Atlanta. They went out and beat Atlanta 36-28, to got the bonus point win. We were hoping Utah could help us out a little bit, but they put up a, a valid effort, and they certainly did beat New York. But New York, all they needed to do was just get one table point, score four tries, and they secured the second seed. So now we've got to go up to New York, Mount Vernon, to take on the New York Iron Workers in the Eastern Conference Eliminator game. We're going to talk about that in just a bit. I'm super excited for it, super pumped. Hey, all the pressure is on New York. They're playing at home, but we'll get there in just a second. AKP, let's talk about this. You mentioned it off the jump of the show 
that the best record that Old Glory has achieved so far, seven wins, eight losses. They did get that one tie, as you said, a half game off of, you know, getting a 500 record. Third in the Eastern Conference, secured the very first playoff win. Super exciting stuff. Super exciting stuff. We got to talk a little bit about that Atlanta game. First of all, that starting 15 that Old Glory released uh, was interesting, but you actually brought up some really interesting points. Two things here that I think a lot of playoff teams were considering, and that was just player eligibility. Four games or not, you know, whether or not they were on a match day squad, if they're eligible for the playoffs. AKP, break us down that thought process and then the initial concern that you had with the frontline players that Old Glory had on the roster that was healthy. Yeah, so this had... I mean, this goes back to the the league having a apparent allergy to properly explaining just about anything to do with the rules or to do with how things are structured. We heard that the league had a, a new rule this year that a player had to play in at least four games to be eligible for the playoffs. And the I think the idea being that you can't just sign some guy last minute or, you know, sign him technically ahead of the deadline, but, you know, allow them to stay wherever they are, come in like a game or two before the playoffs to, to get warmed up. And then, you know, basically we didn't want teams juicing up their rosters right before the playoffs. <laughs> now, can I, can I interrupt for a second? Is that in reference to, <laughs> is that a veiled reference to, uh, the New York Ironworkers and the All Blacks, because you made a comment on social, and some people took issue with that. <laughs> you no, know, all I will say is the Ironworkers <laughs> never juiced up their roster for the playoffs, but the Ironworkers have never been to a playoff. That was a previously named New York team who may or may not have juiced their roster right before the playoffs. But anyway... <laughs> The, uh, the the point of the rule is to you know, to prevent teams from basically changing their roster dramatically right before the playoffs and and improving themselves. You want teams to win with the team that they've been playing with all year. But then it led to an interesting conundrum, potentially for Alt Glory, because we we only have nine front rowers signed to the team at all. And then Herrera presumably is injured because we haven't seen him for a month and a half. And then you had Koi Koi Nelligan, Alex Baladeras, both of whom haven't played four games. And so that was that leaves you with just six front rowers, the absolute minimum that you can have on a, a match day 23. But then Facundo Gaddis also hadn't shown up on a roster for, for a few weeks. And so it was like, is he injured? In which case we only have five front rowers and we cannot field a, a legal lineup. But the then Brian Ray of America's Rugby News asked the league for qual- clarification on this, and it turns out that players just have to have been eligible for selection for four games. So presumably that means... <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> presumably that means that they are in the country, legally able to work, um, you know, training with the team, available to be selected and whether or not they happen or not. So that would that would still prevent you from signing some guy in New Zealand at the signing deadline halfway through the season, 
letting him stay in New Zealand for a while until, you know, well, he he does other stuff and then just bring him over at the last minute. But it really waters down the rule a lot. So I yeah. I don't really know, especially when you have that mid-season signing deadline. I'm, and why they couldn't have just explained this clearly, I, I don't know. So huh. the long story short is that Nelligan and Baladar is both available for selection for Old Glory, and we won't presumably have any have too much trouble with, with front rowers being missing. But... <laughs> I don't know. It's it's just such a classic thing from the league. They just seem to be allergic to properly explaining anything. And some of it's difficult. You know, it's not always easy to make yourself clear. There's a reason that people like myself have a career in explaining things um, and communicating properly. But it's it's a professional league. They really ought to hire some people who can explain things. Hire some PR people. Hire some marketing people who can make this stuff clear to the fans. Yeah, well, thank you to you and Brian Ray for getting to the bottom of that because I think a lot of people on social were kind of thought that, hey, you know, if a player's not available for four on a match day squad for four, then how are they going to make the playoffs? Like, what's the purpose of the tri- the, 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 said, the signing deadline if that's kind of arbitrary now at this point? So I'm yeah. glad we got some clarity uh, on that. But more importantly, just glad that... We know that Old Glory DC seemingly will have enough players to field those yes. front row positions. <laughs> yeah, we don't need to worry. We don't need to worry about injuries now, or we potentially, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, and it sounds like a couple of players may be fine. We we were able to chat with a couple of players after the game. We can talk about that uh, in a second. But uh, staying on that that starting fifteen, the match day twenty three versus Atlanta. Anything else that you want to call out that we should be aware of going into this battle against New York? So what was as predicted, the the lineup against Atlanta was mostly pretty normal. We, I mean, after the Houston match where we just flipped everything on its head and and had a bunch of people starting who'd never played before, it was pretty pretty straightforward. Um, a few interesting things still, though. Koi Koi Nelligan was on the bench, or, yeah, on the bench instead of Facundo Gaddis, which is part of what led me to speculate that Gaddis might be injured. Turns out he's he's fine. We talked to him after the match, and, and he said he's all good to go for the playoffs. So I don't know if that's just giving Nelligan more time or, or what. Hmm. Or maybe Nelligan's passed up Gaddis on the bench. Who knows? But either way, it's it's good to know that, that Gaddis is okay. Jamma also on the bench that's just to to sort of spare his shoulder a bit he is injured but not injured enough that he can't play but injured enough that we probably shouldn't play him more than we need to so i think he he was just being saved for the playoffs there there's also quite a lot of backline injuries going on tito diaz Benia, kurt baker marcos young none of them appearing in the lineup all of them presumed injured and that's led to some interesting change-ups in the, the lineup where you've got Penny Lasanga dropping back to fullback, which is not his normal position. Did surprisingly well there, I have to say. Um, it didn't go as badly as it could have, but yeah, it, he's also just, just still definitely not a fullback. And then there were some interesting change-ups as well when you had Doug Frazier go down with his his knee being bothered, and then also had Graydon 
bow would go down, and I think that was also his something to do with his leg. Bow is fine. He he said yep. he, he just a little banged up. You know, more cautionary than than anything, but it meant that you had Talataina and um, Tusitala switching out at fly half and center, and it it. The lineup was very confused by the by the end of the match in the back line. John Lefebvre coming on to cover scrum half while Danny went into the back line. So just weird stuff. Hopefully a few more people are healthy and things can look a little bit more normal for New York because I think it's not a surprise that a bunch of guys went out of the back line and we stopped scoring quite as much. I mean, we scored four of our six tries in the first half and... I, I think that's not unrelated. Yeah, yeah. Of course, it was it was <clears throat> it was good to see local player John Rizzo get that try towards the end of the game, which helped stretch the lead for for Old Glory there a bit. But yeah, definitely a little concerning, and we hope everything's okay. Doug was able to get up and I think walk off on his on his own, but no, nah, he, he was carried. He was he was he was helped a little him. bit. Yeah. He was helped off. Yeah, and that's that's tough because. While Doug didn't play very much the first part of the season, really maybe 75% of the regular season, those, that stretch there in the last three or four games really come, came on pretty well. Veteran steady yeah. lead, leadership, scoring tries, like you wonder really you know, why he wasn't in the lineup. But, yeah, and hopefully Doug's okay just long-term-wise. But, um, you yeah, know, we'll have to keep our, our eye on that one um, for sure. You know, speaking of Kurt Baker, he was he was part of the water crew. He was running water out. You know, so he's obviously still part of the team. He's obviously a player coach. He physically looked like he was okay. So maybe it's just some little more extra rest before a hard hitting eighty minutes against New York here. But uh, we'll see. Heck, maybe they uh, you know maybe they resign Ben Seymour off the coaching staff and they slot him in the back line. I mean, I mean, look, if the, the trade and signing deadline doesn't really mean anything, then, hey, he was on the roster for all 18 games. <laughs> he was on the field. Yeah, that would be quite the surprise, but yes, it's possible. <laughs> all right. Talking a little bit more about the game. Good, bad, and the ugly from the game. You got into it uh, a little bit there. I think um, good, Old Glory, off the jump, scoring the first try. Old Glory always seems to do... Played pretty well when they can when they can score first. Doug Frazier certainly dotting down, and then there was a stretch there of about gosh ten minutes or so. It seemed like Old Glory yeah. was just on the back foot and just having to put up a goal line stand. And ultimately, Atlanta did get a, a try there, but man, they had to really work for it. Old Glory didn't give up. They weren't just going to concede a try there. Um, anything else in particular you saw that was good? Um, in the game yeah so like you said the defense was was pretty good all game and and even when we were really shooting ourselves in the foot for 10 minutes at the beginning there the defense still held up really pretty well and down a man um, and down man yeah, and down a man yeah. too with the yellow card too yeah it yep. was and it was the the passion was right the the feel of the defense was back to what we expect from old glory and so that that gives me a lot of hope actually going forward but then i also want to call out penny i mean stepping going from wing into fullback fullback's not really his position defensively he doesn't really have the size or presence to to play that position to its its best level but 
he did a really good job and especially on attack like watching him be able to just enter the line wherever he wants to just you know him connecting with junior sow down the sideline him being able to have a bunch of space pick his spots he was he was on fire a lot of the night on attack and if that's the you know the best option we have at fullback that's fine i i'm happy to see penny at fullback and there's there's downsides to it but i overall it, i thought mm-hmm. that went pretty well <laughs> i also thought the the set piece was clicking pretty well we won a lot of line outs um the scrum was we had the edge we couldn't always you know we weren't dominating them necessarily but it it makes me feel good going into the new york match new york doesn't have the world's greatest scrum so i think that could be an area where we get an edge and are able to get a couple of penalties especially on our own put-ins the the bad i'm just gonna skip skip to one of the things i put under ugly which because he brought up that that 10 minute stretch there the number of just completely unforced errors in this game was mind-boggling like there was that so the second atlanta try we we have a line out roughly around halfway i think i think it's our our side of halfway we throw in the ball excellent drive from the the forwards in the mall go about take it about like 20 meters um just just fantastic mauling which was true all game as well and then Graydon Bowd makes the questionable decision to put up what amounts to a box kick. You know, just a, sh- a high, short, the sort of kick that's great if you have people who can contest it. Spoiler alert, we don't have anyone who jumps to contest kicks. We don't have anyone who even really chases and gets in the area to be able to catch kicks. We So we kicked a contestable kick, decided not to contest it. Their guy slipped around to the outside, made a bunch of ground. They got up to about halfway. Their scrum half put up a a box kick, one of the times that box kicking is good because he saw a gap and no one was prepared for it. Danny Tusitala does a great job of recovering that in our own 22, passes it back to Graydon Bowd, and he drops it just out of nowhere, gets his hands on the ball, straight up drops it, knock on. They get a a scrum and punch it over the line for a try. And it just, there were just so many, like, clear mistakes in that that sequence. There was the initial decision to kick it. It was just a bad decision. There was the, the back three was out of position. Now, that's partly because you had injuries and such like. There's the, and then Bowd just completely drops it. Completely unforced. There was no one within ten meters of him. He just didn't handle it, and it, and it. He wasn't the only one. He did that again later. Penny did that later. There were multiple times where players just dropped the ball yeah. for, for no apparent reason, and it, it was <laughs> extremely frustrating. It's the sort of. It, there's times where errors can look like errors, but actually, when you look at it, there was the defense forced it in some way, or they were putting pressure in a weird way, or they they made it happen. This was this wasn't that. This was just purely us shooting ourselves in the foot, and it's the sort of thing that if we are going to do that, we're going to lose playoff games. That is not playoff rugby, right there. Yeah, those are you brought up a real good point. I, and I, 
a lot of unforced errors, those, those drop balls. I, part of me was wondering and just having a closer look at the, at the game, I thought Old Glory's attack was playing pretty well, particularly as you mentioned in the first half, scored four of the six tries there, that I felt like rugby Atlanta's defense was, was really unsettled, and there were a ton of gaps that were opening it up, and maybe it was just Old Glory just like revved up, hey, I've got an opportunity here, I see a gap, and there's a there's a two-on-one, three-on-two here, let's make it happen. Maybe it was just like over-eagerness, <clears throat> and unfortunately, you know, you, you look up real quick, you take your eye off the ball for a second, and you drop it. But yeah, you're right, those unforced errors, you can't have those. That's not playoff rugby. That's not going to win you a a playoff game, particularly a team like New York that seems to be coming into form, that has some firepower in the back line, that can, that can really stretch the field. Those were definitely areas of concern. I, I got to bring up one thing that I thought was good, and we talked about this a little bit after the game. And maybe it's because it, the news came out that he's going to join the rugby league team in the offseason. But Junior Sal, maybe he was just getting oh, yeah. ready for rugby league again. But, oh, my goodness, he was running hard and straight at people. It was like, here's a brick wall. I'm going to run right through it. He was like the Kool-Aid man. Oh, my goodness, yeah. dude, the impact. Driving guys off the ball. Unreal. And the way, and he single-handedly changed the momentum. He's the one who broke us out of that 10-minute funk with a really, really good run where he just – he got the ball, he had 10, 15 meters of run-up, and he was just clearly decided he was just going to run hard, run straight, and force, <laughs> dare anyone to stand in his way. And that, you know, that got Atlanta a yellow card that really changed the game for us. And he, he did it a couple more times, and he's just, it was a reminder of like, oh yeah, this is why he's on our roster. This is why yeah. he gets starting in the starting lineup. A couple other things. I want to just point out the play of the Fords. I thought the Fords pack again played particularly yeah. well. Good to see a couple other guys get some tries. Big Jack scoring. The, his big rumbling run at the end right before the end of the first half was great. The quality yeah, he was on the big, wing. He gets he, scoring a winger try. <laughs> No, it's funny because if you look at the replay, you had John Rizzo kind of like off to his right, like, like okay, big fella, give me the ball. <clears throat> but then when he realized that no one was stopping Jack, he was just like, put his hands up before he even scored because he knew it was going to be a try. So that was cool to see. Um, you could tell Jack was fired up about that. Uh, Tavita Nikwali, anytime he can break a tackle and get past the game line, like he is a tough dude to he bring down. so <laughs> good. You, I mean, it's a reminder why he was the – the leader in meters gained for us for for a while at the beginning of the season. Yeah, such a nice guy off the field too. Like had a nice conversation with him after the game. Really nice dude, but would not want to try and tackle him in the open field. Nope, nope, nope. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So AKP, that was a, definitely an exciting game um, against Atlanta. Good to get the win here. So again, regular season is over. Final stretch review. I think I don't want to go through all of it, but just looking at the last three games, this was after that that home loss against Seattle. That was a little that game got away from Oakland pretty quickly. Those final three games were at NOLA, at Houston, and then home against Atlanta. And as you crunch the numbers, the two biggest wins that Oakland DC needed were to beat our conference opponents, and that was NOLA Gold and Rugby Atlanta. And that's exactly what they did, right? They went out there. And they got the two wins. They lost that one to Houston. Again, we talked about you know what the decision-making process was behind that starting 23. But when we said, hey, according to the numbers, if Old Glory can beat 
Nolan, if they can beat Atlanta, they're going to qualify and make the playoffs. And that's exactly what they did. So I, I, I would say, just looking at that final stretch, while it may have been a little unnervy, a little uneven, they set out what they were supposed to do, and that was beating their Eastern Conference opponents when they had to. So hearing that, and then talking about this whole, you know, momentum thing, right, in sports, like going into the playoffs, does it exist? Is it real? Give me your thoughts on a momentum win. Does it exist in sports, or is it once the game is over, you switch off and you focus on the next opponent? Is there such a thing as momentum? It's one of those where I've always been a little skeptical of the concept of momentum, but I mean, there's definitely, I think there's teams playing well and teams playing not well. Like, you're, you're either playing to your potential or not. And so you take a team like our opponents, New York, they're, I think they're playing really at the top of their potential right now. They've, they've figured out their formula and this is the best that this New York team can play, I think. And that, I think that matters. The fact that they are peaking at the right time. And I think that will look, that, that looks like momentum when you see it because it looks like, oh, they're winning games right at the end. They're playing well and that counts as momentum. But although they lost to Utah, I think Old Glory is, is doing similarly, though. I think they're not quite peaking to the same level. I think there's a lot more headroom for Old Glory. I think old the best Old Glory team is better than the best New York team, frankly. But I think we're... I think we're, you look at that final stretch of seven games that we've been talking about for, for like two months now. And it, it was shaky in the middle there. We dropped, we won some bad games. We lost some bad games. And it's been, it hasn't looked settled or, or, and it's felt a little like we're getting away from our own identity. But now I think we've, we've really come back to this is what this team is this is why this team works this is how this team wants to win and i think if you want to call that momentum then yeah momentum exists awesome i love it yeah i think there's i think the concept of momentum makes sense like in game where there are stretches where maybe yeah. the crowd gets behind you or there's an aspiring passage of play or there's a jackal or a big hit i think in the moment in the game that fires people up and maybe there's momentum I think when you go week to week, that's that's harder because you need to dial back, you need to evaluate what happened, and then you need to look forward and start preparing for the next team. That I don't think momentum, you know, stretches seven days. But uh, hey, you know, if we can sprinkle a little momentum pixie dust on the boys to play well against New York, let's try it. So let's talk about that Eastern Conference Eliminator game that is going to be on Sunday, June twenty fifth. So Old Glory has an extra day. To rest up, that is a 6 p.m. Eastern time kickoff on FS2. So big, big broadcast window there, um, which is awesome to see. Let's preview New York here, right? So New York, eight wins, eight losses. Old Glory and New York split the regular season. They went one and one. Week three, Old Glory went up to New York. They lost 34 to eight. DC was coming off of bye. AKP, sum up that game for us if you if you can remember that week three loss to to New York. Yeah, it was a weird one. It was early season jitters. It was 
the team hadn't quite i mean go back and look at the lineups they were that was still when sims was just messing with lineups every week we didn't have any consistency we're still figuring out what we were going to be so i and i said it at the time in in preseason when we played them in preseason like they were looking pretty put together already in preseason and i i said they're gonna they're gonna take some people by surprise and win some games early on and and they did i didn't expect us to be the victims of it but we were yeah we were um and i don't even think william tyler talking about the the roster i don't even think william talataina was playing yet i don't think he started playing until week four um so definitely some 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 turnover there okay so early season you come off a bye shake it off right so much more rugby to play or glory then faced New York at home in Week Nine, a 42-31 win, where Old Glory in the second half just opened up and were just dropping tries. AKP, what do you remember from that game? I remember that one being a lot of fun to watch in the stands. That was, was a lot of fun it to was, watch. Yeah. It, it felt really good, and it was again. It was us. I feel like that's what that performance, that quality of performance, where we're just really going for it on attack, just people breaking the line just making it absolutely going along offloading supporting each other and then on defense really doing what they need to do to prevent the scores it's it's like that ethos that we've been we've been sort of struggling to find since the the bye week Um, but I feel like we're starting to find again I feel like we found it against Nolan we found it against Atlanta and weirdly enough we found it against Houston even though that match was a loss but we found it that was when we found it again in our bench and yeah I I feel like that New York match was really a a pinnacle of the midseason and that's what we're aiming for again yeah you know it was a great win for for Old Glory and I kind of wish though Old Glory had played New York the second time a little later in the season so a little more fresh and familiar because that was excuse me eight nine weeks ago right including a bye week in there and that lineup from New York was unsettled too. They had some injuries. I don't think um Fido was playing. I think Jack Hyten was out. So they but they did have a good full lineup for the most part. And they were missing a couple of key players. Now that seems so long ago. And New York certainly seemingly on form. Guys getting healthy again. Hyten's back in the lineup. I think Brandon O'Connor's back in the lineup. Uh McManus typically they're starting nine back in the lineup. You know of course, they've got Dylan Fawcett. I mean, everyone knows some of the players they have. A lot of their ex-All Blacks are no longer there. But <laughs> um, So let's talk about New York. How do you beat the New York Ironworkers right now? What's the formula for beating New York? So I think the first thing to, to lead with is that they are beatable. And Utah proved that. But they're not... Mm-hmm. This is not... I think this is an average team that is currently playing pretty well. But they're not they're not a team like Seattle, San Diego, New England that's that's like actually a cut above the rest. So they are beatable. Something to be aware of. So all of us, as old glory fans, I can tell you now, we are going to get annoyed by New York. Because they love to push the rules. And recently they've been getting away with it. The referees have largely been letting them push and push successfully. 
So they're going to be offsides a lot. They love to do a rush defense just like Atlanta, and they're going. You're going to be screaming every other ruck that they're offsides. They love to counter ruck, and they love to counter ruck in ways which are questionably legal. They they love for their tackler to just tackle, get on the wrong side, and then stand up and form the ruck past the tackle. And there all sorts of ways that that they do very questionable things in the rocks, but they, they mostly manage to get away with them. They've nailed that formula of being just barely enough within the rules or with plausible deniability. They love to keep on rolling when they get tackled. They're, they're going to try and grab that extra meter every single time. It's going to look like double rolling and double movements a lot. They probably aren't going to get called on it that often, but that's our jacklers just need to get over them and, make it make it clear to the referee that they their players are moving on the ground and that's all and the thing is that's all playing the ref we just need to accept that that's going to happen so the way to counter that is tacklers need to finish their tackles we can't have players slipping out of the first tackle and then because we're usually pretty good at meeting them just behind the gain line and then We'll let them fall forward. They'll get back to the gain line. But they almost never make it out for the gain line. That's the old glory defense when it's working well. If we, if that first tackler misses, if, they, if we manage to let them consistently wriggle out of that first tackle, hit the second guy at the gain line, they fall forward over the gain line, and they start making steady progress down the field. That's what we saw when they beat us the first time, is they were just able to, to power game it, get <laughs> five meters in a cloud of dust, um, work their way down the field so not letting that happen by nailing our tackles is going to be essential we need to support at the breakdown prevent them just make it really hard for them to counter ruck know that they're going to counter ruck make sure that there's at least a couple of guys there to to not get overwhelmed we need to and we need to get it out of the ball out of the breakdown quickly so they don't have time to counter ruck and then we need to not kick to their back three they haven't they have some awesome runners in the back three. If we're just willy-nilly kicking it, if we're not chasing our kicks, if we're doing silly things like kicking it straight to some of their best players, it's that's going to be a mistake and it's going to end poorly. I and they're going to. I the thing is, Old Glory is going to do it. They're going to kick some absolutely boneheaded kicks, and it's going to lead to at least one try where someone's going to kick it. They're going to catch it, they're going to swing it wide, someone's going to punch through on the edge, and they're going to score from about halfway. And trust me, that's going to happen at least once, and I will take a shot of well tequila if they if that doesn't happen. And overall, they just need to clear up their mistakes. They, they can't be just randomly dropping the ball. They can't, I mean, they can't, they can't just be, like we talked about in the Atlanta game, they can't be making those absolute basic errors in their play that that really led atlanta back mm-hmm. in and and made it difficult to shut them down there's a couple individual matchups that i think i'm really excited to see and you know you talk about the wing ed fito versus junior sow could be <laughs> extremely combative just from uh yeah how they run similarities and how they run uh how they want to tackle and hit hard and they want to get in the action you know ed likes to mix it up Junior likes to mix it up. Like th- that could be make for a, a lot of fun to watch. Um, I think 
I keep saying this, but Willie T in, in the midfield, I think, is going to have to have a big game for Old Glory here, and he's so capable of it. And he's had some games where he's a little bit quieter, but you don't really see the kind of work he, he is doing. I mean, he does not back down from a rock, and I think our backs are really going to have to, as you said, be strong there in the tackles. Hit him at the game line. We can't let guys slip away. I'm excited for that. I really think in the forward pack, we're going to see some disruptive play from guys like Jamma, Nico yeah. Jones, who, you know, pouncing on balls, Jacqueline, getting some big runs going, freeing Danny for some awesome support lines, get it out to Rizzo and others. You know, I'm inside, I'm already starting to get a little bit nervous, but it's like that, that nervous energy you have right before, you know, you're about to watch some good, fun rugby. But to your point, too, I think our, our forward our forward pack is really going to have to to dominate uh, this game, and I think they really got to set the tone right from the very beginning. They're going to be playing in a hostile crowd, quote unquote hostile crowd. They're going to be traveling up there. You know, maybe some some old glory faithful make the the trip up ninety five or take the Amtrak and go up there and watch it. But if old glory can right out the jump get a try within the first five to ten minutes and really start to take over the game and, and possess the ball, that's only going to bode well for them. Because I think it is going to be an intense match, and you're going to have to play on that edge because New York loves to go over that edge and rile up the opponents to really get a map. But i got to say, Old Glory, for the most part, discipline-wise, at least when it comes to like foul play and red cards and stuff, hasn't really been an issue for Old Glory this year. And maybe that's just because... They know how to tread that line, still bringing the intensity without doing something that's going to cost the team. But they are going to have a big challenge against New York because they are pests when it comes to that. And we'll see right off the jump how if New York is going to try and test O'Glory on, on some of that stuff and, and whether or not the referee is going to take control of this match. Yeah, And I think there's going to have to be some gamemanship back and forth between the captains and chatting with the ref like this the games within the game that's going to be huge i think in this yeah, eastern conference match i think so and who we get as a referee is going to make a difference and how they're feeling what how much they're willing to let new york push things especially at the breakdown that's going to make a big difference um if they they come down hard on new york and aren't gonna put up with the silliness then we've got a really, really good shot at winning. If they're just going to take a laissez-faire, let them let them play, let them figure it out on their own sort of approach, then it, it could be tough. can be tough, but hey, playoff rugby is tough. AKP, this is the point in the episode when we move to our match score prediction. Let's first start with the model. What does the model say is going to happen here in this game? So the model, if I run it properly, has New York by 10. But if I take out the Houston game, because it really is not representative of this old glory team, then it has New York by 8. Either way, New York's been pretty good recently. It thinks they're pretty good. It thinks we're pretty average, so home field advantage as well it's it's definitely the model wants to give this one to new york mm, okay normally i ask you to go first but i'm gonna go first akp um your model is what 81 82 83 84 percent win percentage something like somewhere that. around there yeah 
It's in the 80s. Yeah, which is phenomenal. Although only a 50 um, 50 week last week. Yeah. Which you get, because later in the season, when you're not sure the lineups, guys coming in and out, you know, the calculus changes a little bit. Uh, that's different. I would love to know your model's record as it relates to the playoffs over the last couple of years. So we'll talk about it, how that, what that looks like, if it's better or not. But um, it's hard for me to pick against the model here because it has, it has done such a good job all season long. But um, I think the pressure's on New York. I think everyone just expects or thinks New York is just going to win this one and have a rematch in the Eastern Conference Final against New England a week later that I don't think a lot of people are giving Old Glory DC uh, much credit. I think we know pretty well what this team is capable of doing. And I like Old Glory in this one. I, I, they're going to have to play probably one of the, their better games because so much is on the line. But let's not worry about what happened in the last 18 rounds of the regular season, right? The focus right now is on the next 80 minutes that are right in front of you. I think this is going to be a nervy, testy game. I think there's going to be potential for some big plays back and forth. I, I anticipate this probably being probably a high-scoring game. I think both squads are probably going to get into the mid-30s, and the winner's probably going to have 38, 39 points. So I'm going to go Old Glory DC winning this game on a last-minute penalty kick from... Tito or Grady winning 38-35. to 35. Oh, glory, by three. Moving on to the Eastern Conference Final. That's, I, Wouldn't that be something? Yeah. I mean, I, I like that pick. I think I'm going to caveat my pick. I think if Olds... First of all, Old Glory definitely can't win this. Anyone who tells you that, oh, this yes. is just a clear win for New York, they're, they don't know what they're talking about. I think that it's going to be important to see who we see on the field. I think if, if the lineup yeah. is, especially in the back line, if the lineup is too, if there are too many people injured and, you know, things have to, we have to really stretch the players that we have there, I think that could be a problem for us. But if we have a reasonably healthy lineup and we, we come out with fire, then I, I think we can definitely win this. I'm going to also say Old Glory by three um, with that light slight little asterisk asterisk it depends on the <laughs> depends on what the back line looks like <clears throat> of course i <laughs> i love the uh the anticipation uh before the match day 23 uh rosters get published just because it is such a guessing game on who is available what's the issue here you know, it's, that's part of the intrigue, but also scares me a little bit. I'd, I'd, I wish some of that stuff was cleaned up a bit more across MLR where we knew, you know, official injury reports, you know, similar in the NFL where even if it's like a questionable, at least we have an idea that the guy may or may not play. The rosters come out at least 48 hours in advance, if not before them. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. So that's the Eastern Conference Eliminator game. There's another one, Western Conference Eliminator. That is going to be on Saturday. That's another 6 p.m. kickoff. That, too, I believe, is on FS2. And that is the Seattle Seawolves, the number two seed, who gave San Diego a run for the money all season long. They're going to be hosting the Houston Sabercats Starfire Stadium. I do like how there's one game on each day, so hopefully the crowd tunes in on TV or watches 
uh, at the stadium. But AKP, what does the model say going to happen here? So the model has Seattle by 12. And frankly, that seems that seems about right. I don't. I think Seattle will probably get a little more conservative. They'll go back to kicking a lot of penalties. So I don't expect them to win by a ton. But I, I expect them to just keep the pressure on. Like, they're going to grab a lead at some point, and they're just never going to let it go. They're always going to ha- be getting penalties to keep themselves a, a, just that bit ahead. And frankly, I don't think we've seen anything from Houston for the last few weeks that would show that they can really challenge Seattle. Yeah, and that's the thing. Houston, you know, they had a good season, 10-6. and six. You know, I feel like they kind of maybe quietly went about it. A lot of folks were... You know, rooting on Utah just because they're 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 fun to watch, and Houston had some some injuries, and I think maybe people were expecting a lot more out of Houston this year. I think they were going into the regular season, they were kind of a maybe a dark horse candidate to maybe try and really contend in the Western Conference. But you know, for me, you know, based on what you said about you know Old Glory DC's roster, a lot of it's going to depend on who Seattle is is trotting out there. Um, it seems like they're getting healthier. Alatima went off early a couple of rounds ago, but then he was back. You know, they lost Herps the lock. You know, Riker Hatting allegedly is supposed to be coming back. You know, at least that's what they shared when they said that he had surgery with the hopes that he would come back, you know, in time for the playoffs. Maybe he comes on, you know, their captain for the past couple of years, seemingly scoring at will there. Um, Jordan Chait, their fly-off South African goal kicker, he wasn't. He's been missing there for a little bit. Now I've got weapons there. That's such a tough place to play for for visiting teams to go up there and try and snatch one away. That, in my mind, I can't. I just don't see Seattle dropping this. And I think that potentially sets up a really exciting Western Conference final: San Diego versus Seattle, top two teams in the West. Um, that I think Seattle probably wins this one. I don't know if it's eight, nine, ten, twelve, but I I'd say Seattle probably by a try. I, I think Seattle wins this one by seven. I feel like they're just gonna be in control of the match and Houston will sniff and get close but just not really truly threaten to win. So Yeah. Who again, AKP, I know we're closing up the episode here, but the simple fact that uh, in our inaugural season of doing the Glorious Rugby podcast, we're talking about old glory DC being in the playoffs. How cool is that? Yeah. Clearly we're the good luck charm. Clearly, nothing else on the team has changed, but we but we are now doing the podcast, and clearly that makes the difference. We take full credit. For I mean, we have to take all of full credit, one hundred percent. We'll give a, we'll give a little bit to the players. We'll give a little bit to the coaching staff. We'll give a little bit to the ownership group and the fans who have cheered on Old Glory all season long. But the vast majority of the credit, deservingly, comes to the two of us for putting on this glorious rugby podcast. So you're welcome, Old Glory DC fans across the nation, for for being the reason we got over the line here <laughs> yeah i mean full credit to the you know the whole team it's you know pulling off a, a turnaround isn't isn't easy it's not easy to take a team that yeah. only won three games it's not and without changing up a lot of the roster with with keeping a lot of the same pieces a lot of the key pieces of last year's roster and to turn it into a, a playoff bound team that's really worthy of mention and I'm really glad that we've been able to do that, that the the team has been able to do that. And it takes a lot of pieces moving, and it takes a lot of pieces moving that you don't always see that aren't always going to get shouted out, but it's it's all worked out. And, and here we are. We get to enjoy, 
and we get to enjoy some playoff rugby with old glory on the field. Absolutely. And if you look at the big picture, too, just beyond this game and beyond this season, certainly there's going to be some changes in the offseason, right? Josh Sims is, is departing, taking on Ford's job uh, with Zeb Bray. Um, I don't know if I said that right, but my Italian is not the best, But um, although I am a quarter Italian. But um, the foundation that's being laid, right? So you've got a team that has seven wins, right? Best record they've had since they first started doing this. Coming off a 3-13 and season, they seem to have a good nucleus where you've got some veteran leadership and Jamison and Willie T and Junior, right, that are bringing that all together. Then you've got this young nucleus of players, the MLR drafted talent, right, Koi Koi, Colin, just to name two of them there that you can see these groups coming together. So the, the, the future is optimistic, right? The crowds are starting to pick up. Great environment at Segra Field when the crowd is loud and, and behind the boys. All fun and exciting stuff. New new ownership group coming in, hopefully providing some more expertise, maybe some more money, just maybe some more insight and perspective on how to continue to grow the opportunity here in, in, the, in the DMV that... All exciting stuff, right? But, you know, that's the stuff for us to talk about. The players have to focus, right, of course, on this game ahead of them against New York. So, AKP, closing out on our final thoughts. You've been crushing it each and every week. Please close us out. Final thoughts heading into this Eastern Conference preliminary game against New York. I'll keep it simple this week. See y'all in New York. Are you going? I plan to. Love it. Love it. I have to figure out how I'm getting there. Maybe, maybe I think Gold Glory is going to try and put together a bus for fans. I think uh, if not, I'll just take the Amtrak, figure it out. I'm Love not going to miss a, an opportunity to watch Old Glory play in a playoff game. That's awesome. Unfortunately, I will be on the other side of the country in California at that time, but I will be cheering from the West Coast, maybe scouting our, our Western Conference opponents in the MLR Shield later in a couple of weeks but i'm excited for it old glory dc fans if you're traveling up to new york and you see akp shout him out talk him up great guy he's happy to talk rugby with anyone i'm excited for next week's episode where we get to break down an old glory dc playoff win but let's not jump ahead of ourselves i'm john fitzpatrick for Alistair Kirschpool, you've been listening to the glorious rugby podcast. We're in the playoffs. Let's go. Catch you next week.